Welcome to the Three and D podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman. Uh, welcome, uh, uh, welcoming uh, Justin Lewis here with me. Uh, been a bit of an absence for us uh, here over the past few days ju- or f- few weeks, Justin. I know you've been busy. I have as well. But we're back here with you, uh, ready to get this, uh, da- da- ready to get our show back on a regular schedule, and uh, have a lot to discuss. Obviously, Justin. How first off, how are you today? I'm good, man. Excited to be back. Yep, yep, same same here. The baseball season is here, even though basketball season is done. Um, a lot happening uh, with the Grizzlies. And uh, on the last podcast that we did gave the immediate reaction uh, to uh, the um, uh, situation that had occurred, obviously, with Chris Wallace and J.B. Bickerstaff on their way out. Uh, now, um, Jason Wexler, Zach Clayman, um, they are the new um, figureheads uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies um, basketball team. We gave our opinions uh, of that setup, but now we also come to find out, you know, just what their roles are. And we also have seen the first additions to the Memphis Grizzlies franchise to help Clayman especially, really get going in his role. So, Justin, I'm going to give you the floor. From what you've seen, the fallout from the wexler Clayman era getting off, you know, in its first days of getting started, what are your initial thoughts from what you've heard and seen as far as the Grizzlies go? Yeah, so for me, I like that we have finally gone outside again to, to bring somebody in. Um, but I'm just not super impressed with who they brought in. Um, Show's um, resume doesn't seem to be as far as the dra- as far as drafting goes does not seem to be too far off from uh, from Chris Wallace. He he nails uh, his first pick like Wallace did. Wallace I and mean, at the time nobody thought Wallace nailed his with Mike Conley. Uh, but clearly he did, uh, and Cho's first pick is Kimball Walker, and so he, you know, obviously he hit it out of the park there. Um, but since then, like his draft record wasn't too good, taking Michael Kid Kid Gilchrist over Bradley Bill two overall. Uh, Cody Zeller's never really been anything. Uh, Alex Lynn, Nerlens Noel, Ben McLemore haven't been good. Noah Vonley hasn't been great. Um, it's just. He took Malik Monk instead of Donovan Mitchell um, here recently. So it's like, did we look at resumes, um, that kind of stuff with, with these guys, uh, especially Cho? I haven't done a lot of research on uh, the other guy, Grunwald. Um, but right now, if I had to pick a word to describe the fallout of our front office and what we're doing right now, it's underwhelmed. And I hope that we're not done and that we can find somebody else uh, that has a a better track record. And yes, on the the surface, on the face value of things, I completely get um, where you're coming from. Um, The thing I'll say is, is that, you know, we're looking at other organizations that are kind of in the same boat as we are. The Pelicans, for instance, they recently went out and they hired David Griffin, you know, to be their, you know, guy, their, their main decision maker. And that's what Grizzlies fans have been hoping. We've been hoping to find a guy with a track record of success who would come here and really be, Para would trust him as the decision maker. Think about it as this, history 
just simply shows that that was never a likelihood. Um, everybody wants to find the next Sam Presti. Everybody wants to find, you know, the next really good talent evaluator that can lead a team to sustain success through the draft. Everybody wants to attract that person to their organization. Some have the ability to do that through luck of the draft, uh, through development, and they just haven't found the right coach. The Grizzlies, unfortunately, just are not in that position. And especially with Para being someone that is going to stick within his circle, stick with the, with who he trusts, it, it, it kind of like um, Chris Harrington and um, Jeff Calkins mentioned, yeah, we would love to find Sam Presti. We would love to get these hot names to come to Memphis. It's just very unlikely they actually would. So we're just going to keep rotating through guys in the hopes that we develop our own Presti, Horst, whatever, who, whoever at Griffin. Um, and now Zach Clayman's the guy. So that leads me to my next question. We know that Cho and Glenn Grunwald, who has a history with the Raptors and the Knicks, we know those guys are in place. Do you feel that they will be influential in claiming making his decisions? Or do you, what would you feel more comfortable with? Them influencing Clayman's decisions or Clayman making his own decisions with these guys making sure the decisions go smoothly? Well, um, if Clayman is responsible for the uh, Marcus Hall trade, I won't claim him making the decisions. And these guys just helping them work through some of the smaller details um, because that trade looks great for us um, going forward. And so I think I, I would fall on that, that side of the scale. But let's let Clayman have his shot and let these guys kind of just speak from the experience of doing it uh, and using the connections that they may have with other front offices and that kind of stuff. Um, not a lot of influence other than that. Agreed. And, and, and you have to separate several different things. I think the main thing that Cho and Grunwald are in place for is, as you've mentioned, their connections, their experience, their ability to be able to help the Grizzlies, first off, when we make moves, prevent things from happening like the Brooks trade that didn't happen, the embarrassing decisions like the Justin Holiday trade, the... the, the the incompetence at times that was that defined the Grizzlies front office structure when Wallace was in charge. I think Cho and Grunwald are kind of in place to ensure that doesn't happen, to make sure things work efficiently. Also, like you said, if Clayman made the uh, Toronto trade, things such as that are what's really going to help the Grizzlies develop their roster over the next few years. And Grunwald seemed to have his fingers all over that as well. He's right now the head um, of, of Basketball Canada. He's been a former general manager of the Raptors. So obviously he had some say in that. So so I agree with you, not necessarily from a talent evaluation standpoint, but more from an operation everyday um, practice type standpoint. I really think Cho and Grunwald um, – can, can help out, can make this a smooth operation more than really being the final decision makers on the talent. Don't know a lot about Clayman. Have heard him, some of his comments, um, really seems to be a guy who's confident in himself. What are your initial thoughts from the, while limited, but um, first interactions that we've had with Wexler and Clayman, Justin? 
as far as Kramer goes, I'm jealous. I mean, he's he's this young and he's getting this kind of opportunity. Um, kind of wish that things have fallen different for me earlier in, in, in life or me make a different decision in, in career choice. But, uh, yeah, I'm impressed from just how he's worked his way to where he is. He, he seems to have earned it. Um, and it's I guess it's refreshing to see a different kind of mind um, that's going to be making the decisions. Uh, Wexler clearly knows what he's doing on the business side of things. Um, I've always liked him uh, since he's been in Memphis. So hopefully he's able to translate that to the basketball operations side. And he, and hopefully uh, he listens to the basketball minds of, of a Tayshawn Prince or, or some of the other guys in that office that have, that have been there, done that um, and doesn't try to force whatever way he may have onto it. Um, it's, we're not in a, in a position where we, we can fail right now because uh, we don't want to be in um, the lottery purgatory for years, just kind of stuck there in that uh, that, that 9 to 14 range. Uh, we, we don't want that. So I'm excited to see what these guys can do. Um, it's, it is, it's still just it's still a reshifting of what's going on in the front office, but hopefully that reshifting is also a reshifting of priority and, and strategy as well. And that's the thing about it, you know, it, it, not in basket in, in the world of basketball, not much is known about Zach Clayman. But say the Grizzlies sit here and land the number one pick, they have a 6% chance and we draft Zion Williamson and he winds up being the success many can talk. Zach Clayman will be on the cover of magazines. And, and that's what it comes down to that, that, that I want to really put a spotlight on. Yes, the ability, it is a talent to evaluate talent. And the Grizzlies have not had that talent for over a decade, it seems. But a lot of luck goes in to separating the David Griffins from the Zach Clemens. David Griffin and Zach Clayman had similar backgrounds. It's just that David uh, Griffin found himself in a good situation um, previously, and now he he's looked at as being, you know, one, one of the most sought-after um, front office decision makers out there. That's the thing, though, about it. Rich, Rich Cho is a great example. If the lottery balls fall his way, he gets um, Anthony Davis instead of Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and it's a whole different story for him. So what I'm getting at is, is that that's, that's the thing that comes into play. Smooth operations would be a step forward in the right direction to begin with. A little bit of luck would also help out. But you hit the nail on the head, Justin. For a small market like Memphis, as we continue to get better and we put the roster together for next year, say here in the near future we do get draft picks in the 9 to 14 range. That, I think, is where our front office is going to have to make the difference. We are going to have to be able to not only draft a good talent, but develop a talent. Maybe not to the level of a Donovan Mitchell, but maybe find ourselves to the level of a John Collins on a wing or as a guard. Do you think that's a big, big key for the success of this front office, being able to not only identify talent but develop it once they've got it on the roster? Yeah, because we've, we've clearly missed uh, on the identifying of talent. Just uh, in, in my front office piece, I listed out the the draft picks by, by Chris Wallace and, and who he took over other guys when he took people like Jordan Adams and he took people like um, Tony Roten and uh, Xavier Henry like, just completely missed uh, and on guys and 
if we're going to be stuck in that middle range for a few years, we've got to try to find the the Donovan Mitchell, the Devin Booker, um, those those later uh, guys, or get lucky and a Michael Porter Jr. be sitting there at 14, um, and we get a chance like that. I, I do agree that um, he, the lottery balls are make a difference. Like, do we actually know that David Griffin is actually good at his job? We don't because he was blessed with LeBron James and the decisions around that are pretty easy because people want to come play with LeBron. Um, he, he did what he had to do uh, to get pieces around, around LeBron that uh, in Cleveland weren't always that great. So is he really that awesome of a front office guy? Um, I'd be more impressed with, with Cleveland if he doesn't land Zion Williamson and he's still able to build a successful roster, um, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it perfectly does. It's a harder way to go about doing things, but agreed, if you're able to go that route and be successful, yes, of course, it would be an impressive way to go about doing things. I don't know how likely that is in Memphis, but we shall see. Of course, we don't want to put the cart before the horse. And what I mean by that is, is that the biggest key towards once you identify the talent, being able to maximize its potential, turn that potential into production, is, of course, the coaching staff that you have place in place. You know, been nearly 10 days, around 10 days to two weeks since we've seen Doomsday happen and Wallace and um, Bickerstaff get the ax. And, and just in, in a surprise move, we have not heard anything on the coaching front when it comes to the Grizzlies. And to be honest, I, for one, am actually pleased. What are your initial thoughts um, on the lack of information uh, that's out there about the Grizzlies coaching search? I'm with you, man. It, it, kind, of, it kind of feels like the, the whole trade deadline stuff. The stuff that goes down in secret is the stuff that actually happens. And the stuff that um, is, is so heavily publicized is the stuff that um, it's just kind of leaked out there to maybe make some other things go into motion and, and, and it works. So the fact that uh, we're not rushing from a public standpoint, you know, they may actually have their guy behind the scenes that we don't know. Maybe we, we've moved or moved the people out of um, power that uh, was leaking stuff. Who knows? I don't know that for sure. That's just me just spitballing there. But uh, I I like it, like you said. Um, and, and hopefully that means that we are doing our due diligence um, as far as uh, looking for the next guy to, to run this team. And that's where I think a lot could come from the development with Glenn Gr- Glenn Grunwald, excuse me. Um, he's so close to Ernie Grunfield, and I don't want to mention that name on this podcast in any connection with the Grizzlies. <laughs> but the reason why I mention him is because he was just mentioned, you know, in the past two weeks as now being, you know, kind of a consultant along with Cho uh, for the Grizzlies front office. But there have been, you know, um, also statements that said he's been around since August. And, and, and I, there is no way, shape or form he did not um, have his hands on the Toronto trade with his connections. And so you're exactly right. They put they preached being proactive. They have preached having a plan in place, sticking to a plan, being decisive, and being smooth operators with it. And that's exactly how the trade went down in the Gasol trade. Hopefully that's how things will go down with the Conley trade. But the fact that um, Grunwald was already in 
uh, in the fold, behind the scenes, played a role in getting that Toronto trade done. If that's how our front office wants to operate, I'm all for it. Keep things close to the vest. Don't let public influence um, you know, be out there. I think sometimes Wallace did things for public influence. But do what is best for the organization in a smart and efficient way. And I really think that if we can commit to that and we can set a precedent of doing that, that'll be a big step forward for the Grizzlies. So let's focus on the coaching search, Justin. You know, we've seen some articles out there of some potential coaches. I know you've mentioned previous head coaching experience is a big thing for you. Um, Where do you think the Grizzlies go? What do you think the process looks like? And do you still feel that a previous head coach would make the most sense? So I think the process is leaning towards possibly letting the lottery play out because you land the first pick and you get Zion, you land the second pick and you get Jaw or RJ. That's significantly more appealing to a coach than us not having a pick at all or the eighth pick. And so I think it bumps you up in the uh, head coaching vacancy um, appeal ratings out there. I, I think that we're the most appealing vacancy besides the Lakers um, currently. I, I don't think that this is all the vacancies that we're going to see. I, I think there are going to be some playoff teams that make some, some coaching moves. Like I think the, the Thunder uh, might be that first team to get rid of their coach in the playoffs. Um, and so I think the Grizzlies are going to wait out the lottery. Uh, I think they're going to uh, look heavily at some of these playoff assistants, um, but also wait to see which which coaches fall. Billy Donovan, for example, I don't think is a bad coach. I think he just has a uh, a bad situation with a with a star player that just isn't capable of winning as a as a team player because of the way that he plays. Um, and so I, I would not mind. Us throwing some money at Billy Donovan and bringing him in and letting him run a system, uh, and, and doing that. I don't don't know if head coaching experience is going to be something that we actually get as much as I want it. Um, uh, but that's just what I see going down: the lottery first, and then playoff coaches second. You know, I. It, it really, when it comes down to it, I, I agree with you completely. I don't think Billy Donovan is a bad coach. Um, the, the, the other job besides the Lakers that I think probably is right now more appealing than the Grizzlies is the Phoenix Suns, though their ownership situation isn't that great, a lot like ours. Um, but I, I think with their likelihood of getting another lottery pick, plus with Booker and Aiton already in place, roster-wise, I think they're probably a more attractive um, coaching opportunity. But in my opinion, yes. You know, previous head coaching experience is fine. You know, it, it, whatever, again, on the surface stuff you want to look at, look at it. But for me, again, the proactive preaching, the preaching of proactiveness that Wexler and Clayman have already done, you now have to put it in motion. There's no more important decision right now for this Grizzlies organization than who they're going to get as their head coach. And the reason that I'm saying that is by by doing your background um, work on finding the coach that clearly can add value on the court. J.B. Bickerstaff was there because he was a great player relationship guy. 
He was known for being a defensive guy, but his decision-making, his rotations, he, he, the lack of creativity on offense, you can't have that in Memphis. You've got to be able to find a coach who can not only tell you what he's going to do, but has the creativity and the mindset to be able to make it happen. Frank Vogel was a coach that is out there. He had success in Indiana, did not have success in Orlando, but he did overachieve with his Indiana roster. I think he's a decent potential coach. Mike Brown's out there. I know that he had LeBron, but he's got a very good track record that I think would make him successful um, in Memphis. But whether it's a coach that's already had, had a head coaching experience or an assistant coach, really focusing on making the most of what they're committed to. Not only saying, hey, I'm going to win with defense, but being decisive and being able to do that. With that being said, Justin, you know, besides, you know, finding a guy who can put his words into action, do you think that an offensive or defensive-minded coach makes sense here in Memphis with Jackson and Anderson and um, potentially DeLone Wright and Jonas being the core of what we have in place? Well, that's that's tough. I mean, I think um, I'd rather see a guy who is um, an X's and O's on both ends kind of guy, and let let you have an assistant coach at the defensive minded or, or or something like that, um, because the defense can seem to be more of a natural um, thing because all the majority of defense is, is communication and teamwork. Uh, and then your individual uh, work of, of being able to do the, the footwork and, and the switches and, and talking through those things. Um, and so because we have naturally get the defensive players in Jaron and, and Kyle, uh, I would rather somebody come in maybe with a little bit more X's and O on the offensive side of the floor to help develop their, their young offensive games and, and put a system offensively around them for them to be successful uh, putting up points because in the end you got to outscore the other team no matter how well you defend them you got to put up more points and there's in today's nba more and more and more points are being scored and so we've got to be able to keep up with that and i think if you're looking at organizations out there yeah you'd love to point to atlanta as being someone here over the past year who's really seen the organization future rise up quickly due to good draft picks. But I think if you're looking for the Grizzlies roster with teams out there that are successful right now, someone like an Indiana, someone like a Utah, you know, teams that play very good defense but also have the offensive explosion. Of course, the one thing we're missing in Memphis is that offensive, you know, go-to guy like Mitchell in Utah and Oladipo in Indiana. But where the coaches, X's and O's scheme, have maximized the talent of their players and makes the team overall likely better than they are. Again, I know Utah just lost to Houston, but overall, I think that's a route to go. When it comes to the actual coach, though, you know, he can only do so much. There has to be the assistance from the front office um, in, in, in getting him the talent and then allowing him the ability to um, develop that talent. Justin, that's another big thing that we have seen kind of be an Achilles heel for the Grizzlies in the past. Kind of like what happened with Dave Yeager, what happened with Lionel Hollins, rifts between the front office and the coaching on how the coach did their style of work and the front versus the front office's opinion of how it should be done. Do you think that 
Clayman and Wexler should put an emphasis on that. They need to hire a guy that they'll give full ability. They'll give the full responsibility of doing things the way that he wants it to be done. Do you think that's an important thing for our front office to ensure whatever coach they go with? Yeah, I, we, we've got to stop trying to force the front office philosophies on the coach um, and let the coaches do his job. I, 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 I ain't got much to say on that besides that. Just let the coach do the job. Um, that's, they're, they're, they're the coach for the reason. Yeah, you you build the team, you uh, you do the business side of things, uh, and let let the the basketball people on the court worry about the basketball stuff on the court. So the front office is now in place. We may see new additions coming soon. Of course, we know the big decision, as we you know mentioned over the past few minutes, is really looking at the the coach that that, that potentially will be hired. But in terms of the roster, you know, developing talent, you know, we'll talk about that throughout the summer, obviously, with the roster that we have in place. But it also comes down to identifying talent. And, of course, the 2019 draft, you know, either we're going to have that ability or we're not. And and right now, uh, we find ourselves at the, you know, luck of the uh, uh, ping pong balls. We find ourselves in the eighth spot. Of course, perfect Grizzlies scenario. It's the one spot that is probably the biggest cliffhanger that's out there. Justin, when you were watching the outcomes um, of the the lottery placement and things like that, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that we got the um, um, eighth spot um, in the lottery come May 14th? I hope you weren't expecting me to be shocked. (laughs) That's just, I mean... It's just Grizzlies, man. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, we didn't get seventh, so, so there's that. Like, that was great. But other than that, like, it's just that's just so Memphis Grizzlies that we we fall in the spot where just where we could end up being just one one ping pong ball away from having what we want. And um, just I'm just used to it by now. And and the thing should be said that, you know, while it definitely, you know, worked out, you know, the, the way that Grizzlies fans are used to, we still are in a position to where odds are in our favor. The breakdown of the eighth pick is this, for not to get on each specific placement in the lottery that the Grizzlies have the chance at. Overall, the way that it works is it's around 41% that we will pick at the ninth spot or later. And of course, if that happens, we give the pick to Boston, which is an outcome the organization stated clearly that they wanted to do. Behind that 41%, there's about a 30 to 32% chance we're picking eighth. And of course, that's the worst case scenario, obviously, in this draft um, with, you know, in the eighth spot, you're just, you're looking at a bunch of talents that are, are their flaws stick out just as much as their strengths do, or you're basically just drafting a raw talent that, that you have to completely feel your organization will be able to mold that talent. And then beyond the 40% to convey, the 32% to stay at eight, uh, we have about a 27, 26% chance of being in the top four. So overall, there is, if you were to break it down into thirds, we have two-thirds of a chance to either be in the top four or to convey, and we have about a third of a chance to be at the number eighth pick. 
Justin, when you look at those odds, do you still feel convey is the route you want to go? Or are you hoping that we wind up landing in the top four um, potentially to, to get one of the better talents in this draft? Well, while you were explaining all that, I ran the Tankathon uh, lottery uh, 15 times. And uh, only once did we make it into the top four. And about half the time we were number eight, and the other half we were number nine. Uh, So that's not promising. But I would say I would be okay with landing in the top four, um, preferably the top three. Uh, Four would still be a very Mrs. Grizzly type deal. Hey, we bumped up, uh, but we're not going to get a shot at Morant, Barrett, or Williamson. So that would kind of stink. So for me, it's top three or convey, and I'm I'm even on those. Like I am just as okay going top three as I am conveying. Uh, If we get eight or four, I'm looking to trade and, and make some moves. And isn't it funny that um, it just a year after, in 2018, it was the same thing. A draft that was viewed to be a three-player draft after that, it was again a bunch of players with clear talent but had some flaws or were very raw. And the Grizzlies finished right outside of it. The, 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 the draft night 2018, we saw the Atlanta Hawks who were picking third make a trade with the Dallas Mavericks who were right behind us at five for the one player that the Grizzlies truly wanted in Luka Doncic. And after all that occurred, we wound up getting Jaron Jackson. And that worked out. Jaron Jackson, you know, worked out. I can tell you this. In this draft, I don't feel there is a player besides perhaps Zion that has the ceiling of a Jaron Jackson Jr. So you're right. At the four spot and the eight spot, um, you know, there's about there's about a 35% chance we, we get one of those two spots. That would be so Grizzlies. And, and it certainly would work out. So. Let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about that scenario. Say we get in that fourth spot, Justin. Take away Morant, take away Barrett, take away Zion. In from one to three, give me the top three players that you would most likely be interested in taking if we landed at number four. All right. So the first one I'd be interested in would be DeAndre Hunter. Um, he's been compared to like a baby Kawhi Leonard, uh, with his, with his size and the way that he plays. I'm fine with taking a shot on that. Um, second would have to be, uh, Kobe White, um, just a six, five point guard, um, shooting guard. I think he's got, um, some athletic ability and he's, and he's talented. And then number three, I've got a tie between, um, Darius Garland and Bowl Bowl. Uh, just taking shots on these guys. Both of them are coming off injuries. Um, but I still think taking a shot on them, they have higher ceilings than a Romeo Langford, uh, a Cam Reddish, any of those kind of guys. I am not a fan of Jarrett Culver. I've watched his shot. There's too much going on in his mechanics for him to be able to repeat it consistently at the NBA level. Um, so I don't want to touch him. Uh, so, yeah, Hunter and then White and then the tie between Garland and, and Ball. And we, we we actually have similar viewpoints. My rankings go Garland, Hunter, um, White. I, I think Garland, um, Garland has that perimeter scoring ability that I think the Grizzlies 
definitely, I think that would be a great pairing with Jaron Jackson's skill set. Um, I like Hunter because he has a high floor with a very effective ceiling for this style of game. And Kobe White is the type of player, I don't necessarily think he has like a star type ceiling, but he can be very effective. He's got He's got a good all-around game. And I think that he could find success. But it would be Garland, Hunter, White for me if we landed in that four spot. Say we get – go ahead. Would you take – if you redrafted last year's draft, would you take Michael Bridges from Villanova number four overall? No. Absolutely DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is just a version of Michael Bridges, and he could very well go number four in this draft. That tells you the talent difference in the two drafts. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, Bridges was drafted about Bridges. Bridges probably could have gone a pick or two higher. I, I think that that's that's easily, um, you know, able to say. Of course, you know, um, um, Mobamba. You know, when you're looking back at that pick, that that definitely is one that you know probably Orlando would like to have back. A couple of others that are there. Um, I think Wendell Carter would work will work out for the Bulls. But agreed. I, I think that you know that goes to show just how much of a downgrade uh, this this year is. And I really don't think that you're going to find, you know, yeah, in these type of drafts, you typically want to get multiple picks in the back, um, you know, in the middle to back end of the first round. I really don't know if you're going to find those type of talents in this draft that you might find. I don't know if there's a Donovan Mitchell that's out there in this type of draft. Um, you know, if one of these, the, the, in the later part of the top 10 into the to fill out the lottery, you've got you know Nasir Little, you've got Langford, um, you've got some other talents that Bobo, some other talents that are very raw. You really didn't get to see their overall talent. Darius Garland there, so one of those guys may develop into you know a good you know maybe a star level player. But yeah, I think there's a lot of risk that that's there um, when you get past the top three and Hunter. So say we land at eight, Justin. What are your thoughts with that? I won't even ask you to rank the players. What are your initial thoughts if we land the eighth pick in the draft? Uh, I'll say that looks like about the four. I would try to pair Mike Conley with the four if uh, if um, Phoenix is at at three and they don't get Jaw and they're looking at RJ. See if we can't move up, give them a point guard. We get RJ Barrett and maybe a later pick somewhere. But at eight, I'm looking to do the same thing. Let's pair either Chandler Parsons in the eight pick, move off of him this year, um, and, and get something for him, or, or pair Mike Conley in the eighth pick and maybe move up. If there's a player still available that we like, um, I just don't – I don't want to pick at eight, man. Like, I I mean, that's you're still looking at uh, Ball Ball, but then you're looking at uh, Kevin Porter Jr. from USC or Nasir Little or – um, Keldon Johnson from Kentucky, but I just like no, I'm just uninterested in any of that. And that's where I think that Cho and Grunwald come into play, where they can offer, they can fuel, or they can be sources of creativity on how to pull off a trade like that. But at the end of the day, it's the scouts and claimant that actually are the ones that make the decisions on the talents involved. That's the type of role I think that Show and Grunwald are going to play. Both of them have experience with multiple draft night trades. So you've got to have those connections. You've got to have the understanding. You've got to have that experience and creativity to make the most of those type of trades. And then once the structure is set up, 
Clayman and the scouts will be able to work their um, angles to see what they could do to find the talents to bring in. But yes, I do think a year after the Grizzlies stayed put, when it seemed like a trade would make the most sense on draft night, I do think this year, if we wind up with a pick, it makes sense to trade. I think that that should be the top goal. Get future assets if you can. Get a couple of first-round picks later in this draft if you can. I think that should be the overall goal. If you do not convey or get in the top three, look hard at trade opportunities that really could make the future um, as bright as possible. So a lot of different things going on right now. Again, not a lot of information, of immediate information coming out in the first days of the new era of the Grizzlies front office. Me and Justin both agree that actually is a welcome sign. You know, the, the, the less you know, a lot of times the better the outcome is when not people operate close to the vest. So Justin, as we really look over the next, you know, few weeks, um, it seems like it's going to be less Grizzlies, more NBA playoffs that's going to be dominating the headlines. What are your thoughts so far from the playoffs, um, from what we've seen um, in the developments of the first round? Damian Lillard is a bad man. I know that much. Um, that and the Thunder, any team. I, I don't know if any team can just win with Westbrook playing the way that he plays. I think either he's going to have to learn to change his game or um, he's just going to be a team that makes it to the playoffs and, and, and fades out. Um, the East turned out to be pretty uneventful in the first round. Uh, the four teams that we expected to, to move on and have and no one's surprised by that. Um, the the Spurs Nuggets has been a little bit more competitive than I expected, and that just goes to show you that Pop can win with whatever he's got. Um, I I think the Warriors could go down. The fun, or the Rockets look good, um, and I, and I think that the the Blazers are a real threat even without Nurkic. And the thing that I'll say is this: is that. People in Memphis were talking about, oh, Valanciunas, you know, Mark trade. You know, Valanciunas clearly is the better player now, all this different stuff. And, yes, for individual statistics offensively, it makes perfect sense. Go look at what Mark Gasol did to Nikola Vucevic of the Magic in this series versus his regular season. And then go look at what Gasol did when the 76ers came and visited us with Embiid. I think arguably Embiid had statistically his least, his lowest offensive production in a game this year in the early season win the Grizzlies had where Gasol played him one-on-one for most of the game. Gasol makes the Toronto Raptors as a team so much more efficient on defense and offense, and I think that he is going to play a major role in that second-round matchup of Philly and the Raptors. So things like that I'm really interested to see. Next week, I think that that will be a topic of conversation for us as we get a little bit, with the lack of news of the Grizzlies, we'll have more NBA discussion. I really want to dive in, Justin, with you to Russell Westbrook. I think that this offseason not only could impact, obviously, the future of the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I think Russell Westbrook is a... a is a test case for future um, max extensions and things like that that I think teams are paying attention to. So that that may be a topic of conversation as well. But yeah, 
Really looking forward to the matchups. I, I think that I've seen on Twitter, especially Grizzlies Twitter, there's a lot of interest, a lot of intrigue with the second round matchups. But Justin, as, as we head into another week and we wrap up the podcast today, any thoughts um, as far as uh, the next steps for the Grizzlies and, and what you uh, are really going to pay attention to um, as far as any um, news leaks or you know what would you like to see the next move be? Um, I, I just want our front office to do their due diligence, interview, interview, interview. Don't rush to make a decision. Um, and I will be praying that the ping pong balls uh, fall in our favor. Agreed completely. I would love to hear um, some 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 news snippets. Um, you know, from Harrington or Calkins or or whomever um, is covering the Grizzlies. I'd love to hear some snippets of information. Um, just you know, saying you know to where we're seeing you know Wexler and Clayman, you know, doing their due diligence, doing their background checks, and all that to find not only the the, the right guy for for Memphis, but also a guy who who has the conviction of really wanting to make the most for the Grizzlies. Because at the end of the day, as we as we sign off here to, on the podcast, I think that's what is the difference now than was there in the past. You know, the one thing about Robert Para, he's an absentee owner, but he's been committed to Memphis. And he has put a guy in place in Jason Wexler who clearly is from here and has a commitment to here. And at the end of the day, I think that that means there's a conviction on Wexler's part to do the best that he can to go through every don't don't leave any stone unturned. Don't go by the seat of your pants. Be prepared and proactive. And I really think that if the Grizzlies can shore up how they do things, that will be a big step forward uh, to make the right decisions to really get this um, um, off on the right foot as far as building a roster uh, that can uh, be successful for years to come. Justin, one last thing for you. Obviously, baseball season is here. Um, what are your thoughts on the Braves so far? It seems like that the Braves just absolutely have every intent purpose to walk every other batter they face this year. We I, I knew it from from the from day one of, of our offseason decisions that we did not do enough. Uh, to improve yeah we won uh, the division last year sure but every team in our division did something to get better and some of them significantly better and we did just signing Josh Donaldson is not going to be enough to put us over the edge in a, in a playoff push our our rotation I think will settle itself out Fulton's coming back uh, Soroka's look good Max Freed looks really good our bullpen is trash and we lost this guy you know um, and Venner just doesn't. I don't think he's got it. I mean, he's old. We've got to. We've got to throw money at Kimbrel. I would go look at Dallas Keuchel to throw into the rotation, possibly too. Uh, we've got to shore up that bullpen, no doubt. Or this is going to be a letdown of the season. Potentially, it can. It could be. The good thing is, is that right now we're half a game out of of April. No doubt. No doubt. Every game is important, and we've let five or six slip away. But there's also that thing in the back of your head that, yeah, this season ha- probably has not been as successful and, you know, the not enough moves were made. But Justin, at the end of the day, even if it doesn't happen this year, after this year, we've still got at least seven years of Ozzy Alsby's and Ronald Acuna together leading our offense. That, mm-hmm. at the very least, is a very, very good thing to remind yourself as a Braves fan. 
For Justin Lewis, my name is Sean Coleman. We can't thank y'all enough for joining us on the podcast.